You think you have life figured out? I never feel like I got life figured out. Men have to figure out what they have to do. If you really have an obsession to figure it out, you will figure it out. Figure out who you are, don't apologize for who you are, and then become even greater than you naturally are at what you are. Yo, what's going on everybody? Welcome to episode number 18 of the FitFo Podcast where I have conversations with amazing moms, dads, and thought leaders of all different industries in hopes to help me figure out how to become the father that I want to be for my young girls. My guest on this episode is someone that I personally look up to and respect as a business leader. Uh, he's the Chief Information Officer of Pacific Coast Companies, which is a 70-year-old family-run business privately held. He brings 40 years of technology leadership experience and he shares some insights that he's gained during his career with great organizations such as Intel and HP, among others, Mr. Marty Menard. During this conversation, we discuss ways that he approaches building a company culture, um, how to lead your teams with empathy, and actionable insights that any manager can take to their teams tomorrow and that any father can use at home as well to lead their family from the front. I always learn a ton when I get a chance to sit down with Marty, so I'm excited to share this with you all. And let's jump right in to this motivating conversation with Mr. Marty Menard. You know, for me as a father, when I think about who am I, like, what is my mission? And it's to love and it's to lead my family, right? And now, obviously, in my profession and, and being in leadership roles to some capacity over my career, you know, I always love to learn from leaders like yourself that have been in the trenches, that have worked their way up. Uh, but I think it's so valuable for every, you know, dad and, and parent in particular to be, you know, able to lead from the front. And I thought you'd be a great person to talk about. So leadership was definitely a core component of what I wanted to to discuss today as well as building a culture because yeah while that organization has been around Pacific Coast fortunate enough to be on some meetings there everything I've heard from the people that work underneath you is the culture that you build and I'm so intrigued to learn how do I do that as I go on this entrepreneurial journey so those are the the pillars today with uh, fatherhood always being the focus so that's super kind of you to say that thanks thanks yeah of course so let's start it off so how about your approach to building a company culture if you were to just summarize you walked into Pacific Coast, you know, years ago, and, and how have you been able to build it to what it is today? So the, I, I think that their companies have cultures, and then people try to be part of the culture. And so my job at Intel or at, at HP or at today at Pacific Coast isn't to build a culture, it's to formalize and, and make sure that it lives throughout. I, I think a lot of times employees will hear the words, but they don't really understand it. So I think a big part of our job as leaders is to make sure they understand the context. You know, where did this come from? Why is it important to me? Um, now, there are things that I do that I've learned over 40 years of providing being in leadership, but they still have to be consistent with whatever the companies are. So mm -hmm. if there's a dichotomy or there's a splitting, you know, that becomes a problem. So how do you get employees to understand the value proposition around the culture, and then being able to demonstrate it through role model behaviors uh, and then recognition for that. So uh, we have six different um, values that we have at Pacific Coast. Intel had six as well, just ironically the same number. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things we do at Pacific Coast is uh, we have a staff meeting every Wednesday and we always start off with 
um, who's ever in the room, and it could be my staff or an extended part of the staff, and say, so who have you seen being a role model of our values? And people come into that meeting and say, hey, I saw uh, this week Mira come in, and uh, what she did is she uh, built uh, a set of documentation for um, the HR department, uh, and the HR manager was so excited because she loves documentation. So we recognized her for her role model behavior of collaborative relationships, understanding what it was, was that was required, building it out, exceeding an expectation. Mm. Um, and, and there's not a monetary reward. I mean, sometimes we do, but it's, it's more about the recognition associated with what they've done and acknowledgement for them. An email went out to her and a bunch of people. We all jumped in and said, hey, th thanks. She became basically a hero for the day. Um, and she's probably thinking in the back of your mind, oh, I, I need to do more of this. Yeah. Right. You want to reward that kind of behavior. So you're talking about the culture. And, and I, I think the recognition of the culture is important. The context behind it is important. So people understand why it, it matters. And then just making sure you reinforce it when you have those opportunities. Man, I really like how you said that to start off the meeting with just acknowledging somebody that's living the culture. It's one thing to put it on the wall and, you know, always be preaching it from leadership, but to make sure people are celebrated when they do it and sure. when they actually, you know, em embody it. It's uh, something that I definitely haven't done enough. When you put together, you know, a team, let's say your leadership, do you try to do like micro types of culture, um, you know, values? beliefs, uh, you know, principles, or is it something that you just take it in from where the organization is and just try to implement it into the... Are you talking about before you hire somebody or when you come in, you've got a team, what do you do with them? Well, I think I would probably hear it from both. You know, when you get a new hire, how do you ingrain them in the culture would be one question, but more so when you take over a new team, maybe somebody stepping into a leadership role, how do they create their own type of principles and leadership um, you know, maybe concepts that they want their team to embody uh, or, you know. So, oh gosh, I have so many things to say about that topic. Um, so at Pacific Coast, when I started six years ago, so my entire leadership team is different. I, I think you've met some of the folks um, and, and uh, the, from a leadership team, they're all um, new people. Some of them were promoted from within when other folks left. We brought some other people in from the outside. So I've always believed kind of in the good to great model mm -hmm. where you find great people and you put them on the bus. You don't worry about the seats. You figure that out later. Um, and, and so I think a, a big part is, you know, who, what are the skills and talents you need on your team? Can you find them? And, and, and do they live the values and culture? And, and if somebody's not living the values and culture, they're, they're behaving inconsistently, that will create a negative um, situation within the office and, and those people have to go. They either have to have to change or mm -hmm. they have to go. And, and that's really hard and it may sound really crass, but, but there's a point at which you can ask people to do something and change their behavior. And if they don't, as a leader, your job is to make sure that people are aligned. And if you have something that's not aligned, they need to go do something different, whatever that might, whatever that might look like. Um, I was really lucky at Intel, the, the vast majority of the organizations we had, because Intel's culture is so rich and steeped. Mm. Granted, they're not as old as Pacific Coast, but they invested so much in people. And I, I guess that's probably another key thing I would say is the investment in people is so important. If you're not investing in your employees, how can they grow and develop? We can give them situations 
you can provide mentors sometimes, you can provide outside coaching, but you have to make an investment. And when, when I was at Intel, I didn't realize the investment that they were making in me. And I look back today, and I've said this to a bunch of, I said this to Lewis Burns, who you may know, and Mike Splinter, and a bunch of the, the Doug Bushes of the world. All, these are all the guys that helped me in my career. Mm. And I thank them for their encouragement in my career, not just for me, but for all leaders. Um, and I, I think, you know, as at HP, we had no, we had no training. It was, it was void other than the compliance training and mm, the, you know, mandatory the, things, stuff. the mandatory stuff that you have, harassment training and things you have to go do, which are necessary. But those aren't things that help you grow. Those are things that are just keeping you out of legal jeopardy. Right. Yeah. So you talked about a couple mentors. I'm curious, like, what was some of the early lessons that you learned or anything that you really have taken away from them that you try to you know, pass along to future generations? Sure. So I, I think you um, I think you learn from every person mm. and some people you learn what not to do and certain things uh, that you shouldn't have, should avoid. And there are things you learn that you should do. So my very uh, my second job out of college, a startup that we did. Um, uh, this guy was just a shyster mm. um, and he, he cheated the company and um, he, he was a womanizer and it was, it was, it was just a bad situation. Um, I still have dreams about him because I'm afraid <laughs> I'm going to run into him in an airport at some point because he, he ended up leaving the company under bad circumstances. But you, you learn from that what not to do and why integrity matters in your role. And then on the, on the positive side, the people that I worked with you know, they, 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 again, I go back to the integrity thing. We had a rule at Intel that the most senior person uh, at the table paid for dinner. Hmm. And what that does is it says, hey, if you're willing to take five or 10 people out to dinner and you're going to go spend, you know, today would be a lot of money. Back then it wasn't as much. You're going to spend a lot of money. You should be accountable to your boss to say, I made a decision. I took these people to dinner. Here's how much it costs. Versus saying, oh, well, hey, uh, the most junior person, you should pay for this because then I can bury it and nobody will know what's going on. Mm. Um, and so there's there's a lot of integrity that I think that leaders have to make sure that they have. If you don't have integrity, you won't have respect. If you don't have respect, you can't lead. Um, and so every person that I've ever worked with has taught me something and it's not always been good. Yeah. Other times it's been really helpful. And that's, uh, yeah, you can always learn from the, the good and the bad, right? Sure. You can be good to great or you can, you know, have those leaders. And I think we've all been around them, unfortunately, uh, that, you know, have taught you those lessons that you don't want to be. And, and even if it's not a bad leader, but it's just not your own leadership style, because I think sometimes I've tried to embody a leader that I looked up to, but their personality was different than mine. And I couldn't lead the way that they did. Sure. And that took me a while because I wanted to fit in that box. And I wanted to be, you know, a certain disciplinarian in some respects. Or I wanted to do X, Y, Z. Uh, but how do you encourage people to find their own leadership style while still being able to hold people accountable and making sure that they are, you know, demonstrating the right discipline to keep them on track when, you know, maybe they haven't managed to yeah, it's tightly? A, it's, a, it's a great question. And I don't know that I have the perfect answer. But I, I, I think... Fundamentally, there's some common things that all great leaders will have. They'll, they'll all have integrity. They'll all do the right thing. When, even when somebody's not watching, they'll mm -hmm. do the right thing. Um, they'll have empathy for people. I think empathy is super important um, in terms of being a leader. Um, you know, I, I don't always agree with the people that walk in my office, but I have to have empathy for them. Yeah. And I have to be able to see their side of it. 
Um, I think you have to be curious as a leader. I think there, so there are some things that are common. And then there are other things that are gonna be different. I, I like to joke around with people. I, and, and maybe I get away with it, maybe I don't, I don't know. But I, I try to lighten the mood in the room, especially when things are tense. And I was joking around with somebody today and he, we were talking about Android and he mentioned Apple. And I said, well, why'd you talk about Apple? And he said, well, I just use it as an example. I said, never mention Apple again. And the whole room cracked up because they realized that he had brought something into the conversation that was a red herring and was gonna confuse us. And then I used it two or three other times during the meeting and everybody kept cracking up and even the employee realized that he was doing it. He, you know, he shouldn't have done it. So your style has to be true to who you are, mm. Brian. You can't be me, I can't be you. I can't be a Dave Saunders, I can't be a Lewis Burns. Um, and, and so I think that those are the things that sit on top of these fundamental pieces. And everybody has to figure out what's right for them. Jennifer, my wife, Jennifer, can't tell a joke to save her life. <laughs> She's the smartest person I know. Way, way, way smarter than you and I. I mean, I, I'm sorry. That's not saying much for me. But. Well, it's for both of us. <laughs> but she can't tell a joke. Mm. But she's funny. And so she recognizes where she can use humor without trying to tell a joke. I can't tell a joke either. But I, and I can be funnier than she is, but don't, don't tell her that. Don't, don't, don't record that part. Let's take that part. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that part out. So, so I think those two things. You know, what are those common things? I, I think that empathy is one of them. I think, consistent, I think consistency is one of them. I think seeing the big picture. I think curiosity. And then there are the things that are unique to people. And they tend to be more behavioral than they are skill-based. It's mm -hmm. not, are you good at Excel? It's, do you know how to deal with people? Yeah. Do you have any experiences that you could share, maybe like a early stage of leadership, where you maybe you know didn't handle it the way you would have liked to? Or, oh, I've got lots of mistakes. Yeah, like what? I don't know any that you can. So I try to not make as many as you know yeah. the next person. So um, I was at Intel. I was a I was a young manager. I was in my twenties. I had a team of 10, 12 people working for me, and there was this one individual that I did not have empathy for. Hmm. She and I just were like oil and water. Um, and I felt like I always got along with everybody. And something happened and she made a mistake and I said, hey, can we talk about it? And it didn't get solved in a conference room. It ended up being an altercation in the office area. And I felt bad about it immediately. I knew I'd made a mistake, but I thought it'll be okay. Within a few short minutes, I had people calling me from another building saying, what did you just do? Oh, and wow. so what you have to realize is if you're not in a private situation, way too many people are gonna know about it. And, and the, the impact, you know, first of all, I felt terrible because I yelled across, I, I yelled at the person. Not at, not at them personally, but at what their task was. But it had a negative impact on my brand. Hmm. And so the my brand for a while was I was loud and didn't know how to control my temper. Just from that one interaction. Just from one interaction. And it took me multiple years. It, it held me back from one of my jobs because they said, you know, we don't, we don't think you know how to hold, handle your emotions. And I was like, holy smokes, what did I just do? Um, and so, you know, going back to that, you know, I'm, I'm super calm in situations. Mm. You know, every once in a while, a vendor will irritate me, Brian, so be careful <laughs> about that. Um, but, you know, you, so that's that's a place where I made a mistake. And I, I, I as soon as I did it, I, I knew it. My boss coached me, you know, again, a great leader. Hey, in the future, you don't, you're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. 
But you handle that situation by going to a conference room and having a conversation and, and you deal with it in the room constructively. That was one of Intel's kind of principles, constructive confrontation. Mm-hmm. And you don't do it in the open environment. So. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I definitely made my fair share already in, in you know, my career. But um, you mentioned Intel you know, a number of times in the culture. It seems like they've invested a yeah. lot. And I've recently uh, read a book, Measure What Matters. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not, but sure. it uh, talks about objectives and key results. Right. And so uh, maybe that'd be a fun segue to think through, like, how do you... You know, obviously, after building the culture, you're leading by example. You're doing all the things that you've mentioned, the traits that you you know try to live by. But how do you achieve success in your teams? Like, what kind of uh, I don't know formula do you use? Is OKR something that you took away from Intel that you've ever implemented, or just curious, like how you like to lead and manage your teams now? More X's and O's strategy stuff. Yeah. So a couple things. Um, and if I go too long, just give me the give me the symbol. You know, like cut me off. Um, so uh, I'm a big believer in the one minute manager. Um, for anybody that has read that. And, and the basic premise is you come in in the morning, you get your day, you get your people set up for success because you serve them. Mm. And so the other uh, term that I guess is used is servant leadership, right? So yeah. you're serving the people who work for you as employees, you are there to serve them. If they are successful, you will be successful. You don't get rewarded as a leader for the things that you do. You get rewarded for the things that are accomplished by your unit or your particular organization. That's so good. And so, um, uh, if, if I have been successful, it's because my team and I have worked together to figure out what we need to go do. So when I started at um, Pacific Coast, for example, so in IT, you know, our, our we, we, our, our table stakes is reliability. Mm-hmm. If the systems don't work, you and I were struggling a little bit getting the reliability going when we get started, little startup issues. If the reliability isn't good, nothing else gets done. Because if the phone doesn't work, if SAP doesn't work, if Outlook doesn't work, if whatever, everything stops and people start glaring at you and you have the uh, binoculars uh, watching your, everything. And so once you've got reliability done, then the next thing you move up in the stack is, is risk reduction. And that means cyber and it means protecting the environment and making sure that from a risk perspective, you have taken care of things. And then the third thing is really enterprise investments. So we have enterprise investments for refreshing PCs and making sure that our firewalls are up to date and our policies are in place. Mm. And then the real benefit is at the top of the cone, I'm talking about kind of a Maslow's hierarchy now, where you have um, subsidiary investments. And those are things that are specific to each subsidiary the things that they need. Hmm. Mobility for this group, um, uh, cost reduction over here, margin improvement, better customer orientation, et cetera. And so if you can handle the stuff at the bottom, you have a chance to get to the stuff at the top. If the stuff at the bottom isn't working, you're never gonna get to that. And you're never gonna get the credibility that'll allow you to be successful in those things. So when I started, our reliability at Pacific Coast was terrible. Mm. We measure reliability by three nines or five nines, 99.9% uptime, four nines, five nines. And ours was probably 92%, which sounds pretty good, but in the IT industry, it's really bad. And so I spent my first year just making sure that things were reliable. Wow. So what does that mean? Every day, we're looking at indicators. What's our reliability day? How many times did the system go down. How many phone calls did you get yesterday? You start to count things. 
Um, and so that, you know, you, you, you manage what you measure, or you measure what you manage is a means of saying, start counting things. I'm, again, I'm talking about IT, but you would probably do this in your business as well, right? Yeah. How many clients do I have? How many people do I have placed? How many, how many potential opportunities do I have? You know, what's my pipeline? What's my revenue going to be? What's my margin? You're counting things. I, I think that's one of the key things that all leaders should do, managers, leaders should do. Where, where's my numbers? You know, yeah. how many employees do we have? How many sites do we have? How many tickets do we have? How many tickets are open? How many tickets are closed? What's the average? So once a month, we have an operations review in our team um, at, at Pacific Coast, and we spend three hours going through all of our key indicators for the organization. And the leaders of that, or the managers of that organization are responsible for standing up and using their uh, uh, business intelligence dashboards and telling us what's happened, what went up, what went down, et cetera. And now we spend most of our time around, so what do we have to do to make it better? You know, what if we allowed it to be worse? Would we relocate or reallocate a person to do something else? Would that make it worse? And if so, could we handle that? What if we outsource something instead of insource? So that's where all of our conversation goes now that we have reliability at a stable manner, gives us a chance to focus on other things for the company. Well, I remember you giving me that book too, One Minute Manager, and I've read it uh, multiple times now, and I gave it to a couple managers that I've had since then. But you know, to start there, yeah, the servant-based leadership, right? What are you doing every day to try to empower your team to do their job better, right? And how do you make it more reliable for them to go and do the day-to-day -day job that you need them to accomplish as uh, so critical? And yeah, even setting up this little thing, like luckily you're you know generous with your time, but just being 15 minutes late could cost me the whole interview, right? And so how do I have those repeatable processes in place? Things that I have to think about. Sure. I, I, I would like to say that there's like a magic recipe and there's not. Yeah. Um, it's, and I'll plug Jennifer's book about Bridge the Gap, but Please. what she talks about in terms of being curious is so important. So if you walk in and you think you know what's going on that day and you just act on that without asking questions, you're, you may end up in the wrong direction. So you may think you're helping somebody instead you're actually giving them a different assignment. So a big part of what I do every day um, is, you know, you know, first thing I do is I go through all my own email that came in overnight and deal with all that stuff or something that I couldn't finish yesterday. <clears throat> That's where I start. And then I look at my calendar and understand what's coming up and do I have all the pieces I need to be successful in helping those things move forward. And then I touch each of my direct reports. How you doing? What's going on? What's going on in your day? You need any help? Um, the last thing I say in every one-on-one -on -one is, how can I help you? Mm. Because as a servant leader, my job should be able to help them move a goalpost. One of the people came in today and it was something very innocuous and we needed to go spend, you know, a few thousand dollars. And I said, go spend it. Now? Yes. Can I do that? I think so. <laughs> is that what you want to do? Yeah. Oh, go do it. Um, and, and so you have to, you have to be able to listen though. You have to be curious first and then be able to listen and understand what people are saying. Um, and by the way, when you're in a meeting and you're talking to people, it's always the last thing that's the most important. Mm. Nobody ever saves the most important thing for first because they want to build a relationship. They want to ease into it. You know, how is this going to go? You know, what's his mood? What's her mood? Blah, blah, blah. 
And if there were one more thing, that's a key statement. If there were one more thing, well, you know, I was kind of thinking about taking some vacation. <laughs> oh, okay, when are you going to go on vacation? Well, I was thinking about being gone for three weeks. Oh, that sounds great. Where are you going? Do you have three weeks of vacation saved up? How are you going to recover your position while you're gone? Um, are there any critical decisions coming up while you're gone? Is there something I can do to help? Sounds like a wonderful idea. Go ahead. I can go on vacation for three weeks? Yeah, it sounds like you've got it all figured out. And if they don't, then the action is, well, go put it down on a piece of paper. Tell right. me what you're going to do. Let's figure out how. Because, so, two things. People always save the most important thing for last. And if you're curious, you'll figure out a way to make it all work or you'll give them an opportunity to figure it out. Yeah, I'm going to seal that. So one more thing. Is that how you phrase it? At the one end? more thing. At the end of it, if, if there were one more thing, especially if somebody's upset. Yeah. Um, so we talk. So uh, my Coke can is empty, but I won't. But um, people are like cups. They get filled. They get filled over the course of the day. And sometimes they have energy around that. And so if somebody comes in your office or you have a client that comes to you and they're, they're like, oh, Brian, you know, blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. Well, you need to let them spill their cup. Spill, 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 so that they have capacity to have something go into the cup. And when when they're done talking, if you say, hey, if there were one more thing you wanted to tell me, they will tell you one more thing. They may make it up or it may be the one thing they've held off. And then once they've got that out of their system, then they have the capacity to listen, to have something be entered into their cup. It, it's, I don't know, you and Brittany probably aren't like this, but if Jennifer's got something on her mind and she wants to tell me, I need to let her spill her cup. Yeah. She needs to get it all out. Because if I try to say, but wait a minute, you did this instead. Well, you know, we're dead. Um, oh. and, and so we need to let them spill their cup and then they have the capacity to listen and vice versa, you know, when I'm upset about something. so. Well, you, you and Brittany, I'm sure, have a perfect marriage. There's no problems. You don't have to worry <laughs> yeah. about that. Stuff, so. I, I wish I could say so. It's a work yeah. in progress every day, right? But right. you have to. That's one of the lessons that I learned in you know being a husband is. You know, especially when you're a leader or you're trying to be a problem solver and that's your job at right. work is right. to remove those roadblocks right. for your people. Sometimes they just want to talk. Sure. They just want to spill the cup. Right. They don't need you to try to provide a solution right then and, and there. And let them. Yeah, and, and that that was and a struggle how, and how for me. Do you have the, but how do you have the patience to do that? Yeah. Well, when you got two kids that are begging for food and then, you know, you've yeah. got this deadline that you're thinking about at work and you got this email that just came through and you're like, just get to it. But you have to remember, like, yeah, be present. Let them spill their cup before you try to solve their problem. We haven't really talked about fatherhood or anything, but it's probably the one thing that I was worst at, if you were to talk to Paul and Katie, was mm. being patient enough to really listen through everything and deal with it. Because you are, you got to get dinner on the table. You got to get them to softball practice. You know, you want, you're thinking about chipping some shots in the backyard. Uh, you know, you need five minutes of, of downtime, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And how do you have the time to provide that patience? As a grandfather today, it's super easy because I have, I have a ton of patience, you know, because I also know that Harper's going to go home or Alexis is going to go home and I don't have to worry about it. But finding that patience is so hard. And, you know, as a, as a father and a grandfather and just encouraging you and other people, you know, if you can find that patience during the course of the day to listen to your employees, it's super important. Yeah. You, you, you were talking about in terms of culture, but you actually build a relationship with people mm. that sticks and matters because people recognize when you're spending time with them.
Yeah. Well, I think it's a good segue. Let's talk a little bit about that because obviously, you know, we've talked a lot of from the business perspective of leadership, but yeah. you also have to lead the family. And, you know, as a male, I think it is our job to be, you know, that leader, that figure that can, you know, actually, you know, show your kids how to do, you know, what's right, what's wrong, right? There's some big responsibility as far as trying to, you know, show them what to do, not just tell them what to do, right? Um, so, I don't know, father lessons, things that you've learned, things that you wish you would have applied when you were, you know, my age sitting on this side of the table, you know, I would love to hear some just open-ended advice if you don't mind. I don't know that we have enough time to go through all that <laughs> stuff, Brian. That's, of course, you talk to a man that's been divorced twice, right? So it's, there's a little more, there's a little more there. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I think that those two things you mentioned are absolutely true. Um, I, I think you also need to be trustworthy and mm -hmm. honest. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm a Christ believer, so, you know, we try to follow his practices and, 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 and live that kind of a life. I think that that's a big part. I, I think if I had been more involved in my church and Christianity and really understood what the Bible and Jesus were trying to teach us, I would still be married um, to Paul's mom. Um, and I've told her that, and I've told my kids that, so that, that isn't anything that's a surprise. Yeah, um, it's a powerful I, statement. I, I think you have to, um, have you ever read The Five Love Languages? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's one of our favorite books. Um, and so, you know, if, my, my brother had always told me, if you can figure out how, what your professor wants in college, you can get straight A's. But if you can't figure out what they want, you're not gonna be successful. So go spend time, ask them what they want, and I was semi-successful at that. Um, but I think the love language is kind of the same idea of, if you know what your spouse needs, even if it's not something you need, if you can give it to them, mm. you can be wildly successful. And so Jennifer and I talked, uh, I think we were uniquely uh, paired uh, in terms of what I need and what I give and what she needs and she gives. Um, you, you know what the golden rule is, right? The golden rule is... Treat others like you want to be treated, right? right? And so the platinum rule takes that a step farther is treat others, others as they wish to be treated. And so if Jennifer uh, likes physical touch, she likes to be scratched, mm. and I do that, she's happy. I don't really care about being scratched. <laughs> so if I didn't do that, she'd be going like, why doesn't he scratch me? He knows that I like to be scratched and you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I think that that platinum rule takes it beyond what we've been taught and we're grown up with. Um, and, and, and I think that that matters. So the Love Languages book, it's for, if anybody hasn't gotten it, go, go buy it. It's, it's, uh, I think it's invaluable. And then having a conversation with your spouse about it because it may not be intuitive what they want. There's a little test in there. I think you've probably taken the test. Mm. Right? That's like. yeah. um, the other book um, that we use uh, and encourage people is um, The First Five Dates. Hmm. Never heard of it. And yeah, it's, it's little known, but it, it's a great book. And it, it talks about how do you date your spouse after you've been married? And a lot of it has to do with what you talk about. Men don't like to talk, right? We like to, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. We get our feelings hurt. We go into a cave. Women want to spend all their time talking to us about all their problems and we don't want to listen to it. Right. Um, but the Five Dates book, if you'll read that and then spend time talking about it, I think it builds even a stronger relationship with, with people. 
Did I answer your question? I mean, it was gold, like just what you were talking about. And on and on and on. No, that was great. You got to cut me off. You got to give me the signal. No, no. I'm learning. <laughs> and to me, like, that's the thing that you have to think about is as a, a husband and as a father, right? Is, you know, what is it that that, whether it's your children, whether it's your wife, your spouse, what do they need from you? Not who do you want them to be for you? Because that's two different things. Right. You know, like you were talking about with the languages, you don't care to be scratched. So you're like, why am I going to scratch? But that, that's what they want. Yeah. That's what they need. That's yeah. the affection that, you know, pours and fills their cup. Yeah. Then you need to commit and do it, you know? And I think it's so easy for us to, you know, as men, you know, we don't talk about our problems. We don't think about, you know, emotionally what, you know, we're thinking about what we need to accomplish. We th- we're more like we're task driven. Yeah. Ooh. Exactly, yeah. caveman, right? Um, but having two girls, I think to me has helped me a lot. And, you know, thinking about, you know, differently from like, you know, emotions and, you know, how do you bring that to the home? And I guess that was going to be one of my questions too was about children because, you know, for you at this stage of life, being a grandfather, you've had all these life experiences, you've led these teams, you've, you've had, you know, marriages at this point. What would you say is like the role of a father in your mind now after knowing so many fathers, knowing so many men, like Mm. if you were to put a job description of what you think an ideal dad should look like, how would you, you know, answer that? So I don't think that was one of my questions, Brian. That was not something I prepared you for. No, good, good job. And I'll I'll give you a second to think about it. No, 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 but go ahead. Please. Oh, the reason why I bring it up is I'm reading this book called All Pro Dad, and it was like mm. the the job description of a father. And it's really weird, but when I was, uh, you know, I started this entrepreneurial journey, as yeah. you know, yeah. right? And it takes a spouse to be t- completely on board with that yep. because lots of risks that come with it. My wife sacrificed her career to be a stay at home mom, so that adds, you know, some stresses financially. And so, um, when I was putting together my job description as like being a co-founder. I did this exercise of like, what is my job description of being a dad? Yeah. And I don't know where it made me think about it or where that came from. But then in this new book that I'm reading, it talks about, you know, what is the what is the role of a father? Yeah. You know, and I just don't think we talk about it enough yeah. as dads and we don't I share it's a great, lessons. I think it's a great subject. Um, so a, a couple thoughts. Um, one is, um, are your two girls exactly the same? Absolutely not. No, like completely different. Completely different, and the same same father, same mother, same womb. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> um, they they look exactly like your wife and you. So they're they're beautiful children. Thank you. They're, they're gonna. Each child is different, and and if you think about it in terms of the platinum rule, you know what is it that they need? Um, you know, one of my kids I won't mention is super sensitive, uh, and and they get their feelings hurt pretty easily. Uh, and the other one, you could scream and yell at them, and they wouldn't wouldn't matter, wouldn't right. do anything. And so how do you recognize you can't treat each of your children or grandchildren or friends or family or wife or spouse the same? You have to figure out who they are. And in our, going back to Jennifer's book, are you curious enough to be able to figure that out? And so that'd be the first thing is that they're not the same. You have to figure it out. Mm. Um, I, I think you have to, as a man, show love to your children especially as they grow to the point where you don't actually like them. <laughs> um, I, 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 I honestly said this to my, um, to my kid's mom. Um, when my daughter turns 13, I'm leaving. And I'll come back when she's 21. 
And I, I, I still kid Katie. I said, if, if I had done that, I'd still probably be married to your mom. Um, it's, it's tough as kids are being raised. And um, again, each one's different. Yeah. Um, and so there will be times in your life that you won't like them and have to find a way just to love them. And yes. not lose your cool and not be too emotional and not, not lose your temper and just be cool. And, and Jennifer's so good at it. Her, her, her daughters can irritate her like everybody else. And she's just su- super cool and super calm and just kind of deals with it. So I, I think that that love portion is really important. I think sometimes for men, it's hard to, you know, we want to punch somebody or give them a high five. Or mm. You just need to snuggle them up. And, you know, and it's easy when they're, how old are your kids? Uh, almost and, four and one and a half. There you go. Uh, and and it, when they get to be, you know, 12 and 13. So I'm terrified. Forewarned. Forewarned. Um, and, and if there's a third thing, so they're, they're not the same. You have to fear who they are. Um, love on them as much as possibly can. And I, I guess the last thing I've already said before is just be patient. Mm. You know, they need to spill their cup. You know, they, and, and, and I think your generation has it a lot harder than my generation because the kids didn't have cell phones. Mm. We had TV, but we could shut the TV off. There's only, you know, it's pretty easy. But now, I mean, your kids don't have them yet, but there, there's going to be a time when you and Brittany are going to have to have a conversation about, you know, so when are they going to get a phone? And are they going to get a flip phone? Are they going to, you know, because you're going to want to know that they're safe. But then you have all these distractions and you have all this social media stuff. and You have TikTok and, you know, blah, blah, blah. We didn't have that. I, I The worst I had was a TV. And, and I, I think Paul, by the time Paul got to be a senior, I think he had a phone and Katie had one in college. Um, but we didn't have all the, so, you had MySpace I think, yeah. back in the day, right? That wasn't that the first thing. So I think your generation has a lot harder. And, you know, I, I watch people I, they go to a sporting event or a concert. Mm-hmm. How often do you see people watching the concert or are they watching their phone? Yeah. Or they're posing or, the, you know, whatever they're. And it's like you're, you just spent all this money to go to an experience and you're not experiencing it. You're more worried about letting people know what you're doing instead of being engaged. And I, I just I find it. I mean, I find it fascinating. I've got an Instagram account, but you know, I, I don't, the only reason I post is when my kids tag me and they say, you know, add this to your story and I add it to my story. Because yeah. every other time I screw it up. You are a loyal liker though, you do. Oh, I, oh, oh, I, love, oh, I love your life and yeah, so. Oh, I'm grateful for that, yeah. thank you. And your kids but, are beautiful, they're easy to like. Yeah, uh, you should spend some extra time with them. Sometimes, like you said, it's hard to love, yeah. uh, you know, the tantrums and whatnot. But I think of that Phil Knight, I think it's Phil Knight, I might be misquoting, but have you seen when like LeBron scored, like past the all-time points leader, yeah. and he's the only person in the entire crowd that doesn't have his phone out. Yeah. He's just present, yeah, just yeah. watching it. I didn't it. see it, but I heard about it. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? And it does make me fascinated because I've been so guilty of that. You always want to capture it, but nobody's ever framed it the way you just said it, was they're so worried to share it with somebody else. And you know that's what we, that's what we do, right? Because we share it, it becomes a look at me generation, and which is scary, and I'm guilty of it, you know. And how do we teach our girls, especially because it's so? I mean, you see what it's doing to to teenagers and oh, girls in terrible. particular, and the suicide rates and everything that's going up, and it's it's something I am, you know, definitely worried about. So how many how many people have fallen into the Grand Canyon because they got too close to the edge taking selfies? <laughs> Yeah, it's a big number. I don't know what it is, but I've heard it's a big more number. than it should be. More than it should be. Yeah. 
Yeah, especially yeah. when you're at those sporting events or something. It's like somebody's going to get a better picture. I promise. There's a photographer yeah. right there <laughs> that's going to have a picture that you know is going to do much more justice than as good as your iPhone is. So. Yeah. Um, how about, so man, this is definitely parkouring and going back and forth because I like to add, you know, um, value to the audience too. And I think one thing that you're great at, um, being a leader to circle back to that and, uh, is being, you know, on social media, LinkedIn, right? Uh, I think a part of that is recruiting and finding good talent to be around you. And I was curious to hear your perspective on how can leaders attract other talented individuals, um, or maybe from a candidate's perspective, how can they stand out to somebody like you so that way they can catch their attention and you know you might reach out to have them join your team? So two-parter there for you. Yeah, good question. So um, I spend, uh, so I'm, I'm a LinkedIn premium member. I pay additional fees so I can send people mail messages hmm. and, and that's a value added. You probably have oh, yeah. even a higher status than, than I do, but it's, um, it, it's what I need to kind of stay connected. I spend um, probably an hour a week, two hours a week on LinkedIn. Hmm. So every day, multiple times a day, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm reading kind of the top stories. <clears throat> I'm looking at people. Um, if we're recruiting, I'm looking for specific people with specific um, uh, job titles um, and uh, when we do, we've got an intern program. I think you heard that we've got twelve interns working for us this summer, mm. and uh, we have a we have a joke in the office about who's going to find the most interns. And I think of the twelve, I found eight, and one of the other interns found four for us. <laughs> so he was he was actually recruiting for us from Sac State. Nice. Excuse me. So uh, I'm on LinkedIn, and if we have job opens, I'm. I'm putting stuff out, I'm um, resharing things because I'm looking to attract people. And, and we're, you know, we're back in the office. We're not hybrid. We're not at home. We're in the office. And um, I think our employees are happy. Today we had, uh, uh, we had a snow cone truck show oh, up. I didn't get that invite. You didn't. Well, you I'm sorry. If you had been there, you would have gotten one. <laughs> but we can't invite all of our suppliers all the time. Um, and so that's just a little thing that we do for our employees. So. A, a big part for us is loving on our employees. Um, we believe we give them opportunities to do things they otherwise wouldn't get a chance to do. We're not a big shop, but we're, you know, kind of a medium-sized shop. Um, and then the people come in, get a chance. You know, one of our interns um, was working in the cyberspace, and he um, integrated data from a tool called Darktrace, mm -hmm. which is an appliance that's sitting in one of our factories, and integrated it into our SIM and our SOC, so all the alerts go there. And he did it all on his own. And we have people that have multiple years of experience that had to figure out how to get that done. No, he only did one and it took him three weeks, but the other one took a week and a half. So he's twice as long and he's done his first one and he knows how to do it. So love, love young people that come in. They don't know the definition of no. Mm. All they know is how to get stuff done. And they're curious. Like to yeah, they're early. curious. How, how does this work? And what do I have to do to get ahead? Especially millennials today. Oh my God, their expectations are unbelievable that's that's okay I, i'd rather have that um in terms of trying to attract my attention it's it's it would be hard um uh i'm a big relationship person so mm -hmm. if somebody if you were to say hey uh, in fact you did hey i've got a friend who's looking for a job blah blah, blah you need to talk to him yeah. um i'll spend time talking to that person and making sure that they at least got a personal touch um i get probably 10 to 20 requests a week 
for LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. 90% of them I ignore because yeah. I don't know who they are. Um, and I'll accept 10% based upon who they are and what their background is. And so if they're in Sacramento, I'll generally accept because they're part of the community. If they're um, a young person um, that's trying to look for a job, I'll accept it without question. Um, if it's somebody that's open to work, they've got a badge on, mm. I'll accept it. If they're a supplier and I know them, um, you know, if, if somebody from, so NTT is one of our, uh, they, they host our SAP instance. If somebody from NTT reaches out, I'll accept them automatically. So if they're part of my supplier network, yeah. I will do that. Um, uh, but a lot of it depends upon, uh, you know, what, you know, you're working on a, uh, person for us uh, yeah. we got a couple things we're working on you know I, I go out and I'm looking you know I, I, what do I type uh, success factors Sacramento ECP ECB comma 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 you know whatever those things are you know and I'll get all those people that'll pop up and if they're in Sacramento I'll just ask them if they want to connect uh, or in the in the you know general area yeah, you were connected to every damn candidate we were trying to recruit for you. Oh, well, sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's all good. We found a couple. I think that that'll fit the bill. But if you're listening to this podcast and you know success factors, please call me. Actually, please call me. Yeah, call Brian first and then call me. That's fine. <laughs> um, but no, that, I I do see you on LinkedIn and you're pretty active. And so, you know, I think that is a way for candidates to be able to, you know, stand out in the job market. I've, I've talked about that before in depth. But I also think uh, for, you know, just to become a thought leader, to be able to contribute to those, you know, posts that you might find intriguing and be able to share that. And, uh, you know, if somebody's, if you like something or you comment on it, then I'm going to go read it, you know, because I know that if you've spent the time to read it, you find, found value value in it like i'm gonna go do that so um i think it's important for people to to make sure that there's linkedin's important with our interns we're teaching them about linkedin because a lot of them don't have good linkedin sites so we actually have a we have a person that works for us and she's spending time working with each of them on their linkedin profile so it becomes more complete What's your favorite interview question? anything that you uh can share without somebody my favorite interview question i ask people when you're getting somebody Um, come to you the the last question uh so if i'm not sure about a candidate Mm. um i will ask them uh the following question if i were to talk to one of your peers not your boss not one of your employees but one of your peers what would they tell me about you Mm. and i ask that question because what a boss would say and what an employee would say may be very different than how they treat their peers. And so <clears throat> I'm looking to see if they'd be honest about that. And if I get a canned answer, oh, we get along great and he's a great guy or gal and, you know, I really like working with them. I, I know they haven't thought about it. And so then that becomes a check on the negative side. Mm. What about when you, before you even get to that interview stage, like how do you decide if there's somebody that you want to spend your time with? You know, maybe it's not a warm introduction from somebody that you respect. Like, is there anything that you look for on somebody's, whether it's their profile or their resume, you know, if they were trying to get a job with, with you, what, what should they make sure to demonstrate? So it's somebody that hasn't been, uh, had a warm introduction. It's a cold introduction. Um, I don't talk to many people unless it's been a warm introduction. Yeah. Um, you know, folks like you will come in and bring us candidates and we'll go through an interview process. Um, we have a two-step authorization process. So if Brenda wants to hire somebody who to work for her, she's one, I'm two. 
Mm-hmm. If it's Ash that's going to hire Ash's one and Brenda's two, I don't have to interview. So I don't see every person that comes in. Yeah. Um, if somebody just reached out the cold and said, people have reached out out the cold, hey, you know, my name's so-and-so and I live in such and such and I have these kind of skills and I was wondering if, you know, we could connect, yes or no. And then if they come back and say, hey, I was interested in, you know, whether or not you have any jobs, generally somebody is warm introduce them to me and they'll, they'll tell me. And if they have, then I'll go back and check with that person and say, who is this person? Where they come from? I'll look at their LinkedIn profile. Who do we have in common? Um, you know, where have they worked? Um, you know, I love Intel people. I've got probably 12% of the workforce that our team is from Intel. Oh, I um, didn't know that. Probably 10% is HP, 5% VSP, and then blue shield you know it's it's the who's who in the area yeah um and and the reason i like the intel people is i'm intel you know and you cut me and i bleed blue still after all these years and so you know we all get in the room together and we can all we can all communicate in such a way because we've worked there for so long dave stone worked there for 20 years dan was there for five or six um kirk was there for 12 um you know i know i miss mary was there for 15 Mm. um you know we get in the room and it's just like we have our own secret little language yeah you speak the same language at that point it matters yeah Yeah. so no i don't i don't really uh people don't i i won't spend time unless i know kind of who they are yeah yeah well i was just thinking like you know when you when i pass you a resume or somebody passes you you know linkedin profile it's different if it comes from you i mean you're you're basically a warm handoff but i mean if somebody just randomly on linkedin or whatever i wouldn't I probably yeah. wouldn't spend time with them unless unless they had a specific skill that we were looking for at that time. How about for a, that new um, manager, like when they're interviewing, anything that you suggest always trying to weed out when you're talking to candidates or, you know, somebody that obviously when they get to a CIO, they've been vetted by somebody. Yeah. But let's say, you know, even as a startup founder, right, when I've got, you know, just a small group or team, you know, what are some of those uh I don't know, uh, concerns that you should try to vet out from, you know, an individual perspective. Obviously, the skills got to be there, but I think the personality traits are always the, the toughest part to gauge on, a, yeah. you know, a quick interview. Yeah. Um, you probably do a better job of interviewing people than we do to make sure that they have the right skills. Um, what we're looking for, if it comes from somebody like you, is do they have the behaviors that match the culture? So the culture part's really important. Yeah, it comes back to that. Um, you know, we uh, have I talked to you about sincerity and competency and offense and defense? Hmm. No. So you and I are both sincerity type people. We lead with, hey, how's the kids? What's going on? Nice haircut. Um, you know, I heard you shot a 62 at the golf course the other day. I know it was only nine holes, but it was a good 62. <laughs> um, uh, how's the wife? You know, I saw Brittany. She was with Carly and blah, blah, blah. We're sincerity. Um, the, the opposite side of that is competency. Um, let's talk about this Coke can and whether or not it's full or not. Um, I think the process for drinking the Coke would be to open and then put it into a glass first. Um, I, I see that the clock says it's two minutes after five, but I think it's really three minutes after five. There are people that are detail oriented. They care about process and mm. so forth. And um, you, you have competency as do I, just not the leading thing. And if, if you were to stand up and I were to push you, one of your legs would catch you, you would be the regular or goofy, and then your other leg would catch up with you. So you have sincerity and competency. Then there's offense and defense. What do I have to do to get to the end goal? What do I have to do? Oh, wait a minute, I have to worry about risk. We have to be careful. Wait a minute. 
And so you 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 marry those that in a two by two, and there's a structure that again Jennifer has. And so I'm sincerity and offense. And so when I'm in a room with a sincerity offense, we just talk and talk and talk and everything's fine. Yeah. Right. And what I have to be careful of is, but do they know how to behave the right way? Hmm. And if I'm in a room with a competency defense, my first reaction is to cross my arms. Sorry. My first reaction is to cross my arms because I'm not going to like this person. And I have to be careful not to prejudge because those people add value as well. Yeah. And so I'm constantly trying to talk to my folks about who's the person in front of you and do you like them because they're like you or do you not like them because they don't like you? And as you're interviewing them, can you suspend disbelief about who's in front of you to make sure not only that they have the right competencies, but they have the right behaviors and can they fit into the culture? Because every culture is different. Yeah. Intel is different than HP, different than the bank, than different than than you know where we're at and so it's important to you know really pay attention i don't think uh, as a as a negative i don't think my team does a good enough job of doing behavioral interviewing they mm -hmm. do so tell me about the last job you had you know uh what did you like about that uh you know if you could change one thing what would you change you know, they, they have all those questions <clears throat> which are easy you know popcorn questions um i interviewed a guy yesterday for a job and um sincerity offense so we got along really well. Um, and what I was thinking the entire time is, is he capable of doing the detail orientation we need mm. for that type of job? And, but that wasn't my job to go interview them for. That was um, the manager's job and, and her team to go go measure for that. So I don't think we do a good enough job. Be, be, you know, behavioral interviewing, oh, yeah, as you, you're better at than I am. I have to be. Um, and, and so, you know, I don't think we do a good enough job of that. Um, I don't think we do a good enough job of doing background reference checks. Mm. Um, uh, and, and that's hard because HR should do it. They're really busy. Somebody should do it. And just and if we're at an Intel, all that stuff gets vetted. You don't have to worry about it. But at a company like ours, you know, we're just not as good at it as we, as we should. I do do that for you, just so you know. Yeah, I, well, you, and I, I would expect that you would, right? But I mean, if we're interviewing somebody and we haven't gone through, you know, a professional like you, right. then that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. This has been great. Awesome. Uh, leadership lessons. I feel like I've learned stuff as a father as well, obviously as a manager. Uh, what about, what was a life lesson or uh, a parenting tip maybe that you took away from your father, your parents that you really felt was like instilled in you? Anything that you've passed down or? Hmm. Um, so uh, I grew up in a beaver cleaver. Do you know who beaver cleaver is? Leave it to Beaver. Yes, I Leave it to Beaver. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. They're you know, like the Huxtables. You know, they have this perfect little family. Oh yeah. <clears throat> um, little neighborhood, one street. You know, we played. In, you know, we we play curveball in the street. We play football in the street. And if you're going to get tackled, they always tackled you on the boulevard, so you didn't get hurt. You always played with older kids, and so as a as a kid growing up. Um in an environment that's so different than our kids grow up in today. Like your kids, your kids and, and to some extent my kids were always raised in a um, adult supervised play. Mm. They, go to a, they go to swim and adults are there. They go to softball or baseball and, kid, and adults are there. They don't do anything, they do very little by themselves. Maybe your girls have play dates that they go on 
and they have to figure it out for themselves. Then they come over to mom and say, well, what do I do? I don't, you know, how do I play? Um, we were exposed to figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Uh, you skinned your knee? Okay, well, do you want to play or not? Yeah, I want to play. All right, well, get out there. The blood will dry. It, it, it's okay. Your leg's not broken. Um, my feelings got hurt. Why? Because I didn't get picked. All right, well, ask him if you can go shag balls. Really? Yeah. You know, figure it out. So the, a big part of my life was figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worry whether or not our kids, your kids, have enough figured out in them. Um, IBM created a logo for everybody's desk that was called Think. Huh. Every employee had a, had, a, had a little thing that said Think. Um, and that's where the ThinkPad name came from. Ah, um, and they used that forever. We used Think in our business of, you know, hey, before you do something, think, what's the consequence of what you're going to go do? And I don't, I'm not sure people really, my, my employees don't, no offense to employees, some of my employees <laughs> don't think as well as they should. So going back to kids, you know, figure it out. Mm. You're smart. Um, that was number one. Number two is you can do anything you want. How hard do you want to work at it? My, my my mom graduated high school. My dad didn't. He worked in the docks in Detroit. My mom worked in credit. I, I think the most money my mom ever made at their peak of her career uh, in 1986 was $24,000 a year, $1,000 a month, 250 bucks a week. Wow. Uh, we always managed to have a vacation. Mm. Um and you know their thing was, hey, you know, if you scrimp and save and apply things in the right place, you can do that. My mom would be embarrassed by, you know, the the, the situation that Jennifer and I are in today. It just would boggle her mind, um, because we I learned to work hard. I've always worked hard. I've always had multiple jobs. I paid my way through college. My dad died when I was fifteen, and so I had to find a way to that. deal with all that stuff. So figure it out. Um, you can do anything you want. And I was loved, man. I, my, my parents loved me. My dad wasn't around a lot because he worked a lot. And my mom worked as well. And I was, I was telling somebody, you know what a latchkey kid is? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I was a latchkey kid. Um, one of my employees was like, well, I can't have my, my kids come home by themselves. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. What would they do? Their homework? <laughs> it's a you know what I mean? Novel concept. It's a novel concept. But, but. It's a different time as well. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm not trying to belittle parents in any way, shape, or form because it, it's it's hard. I wouldn't want to be a parent now. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the three things I would say. I, I was totally loved. I had to figure it out. And I could do whatever I wanted to do if I worked hard enough. That was kind of how I grew up. Wow. That is very well said. I mean, that's a perfect place to end. I mean, this is figure it the fuck out. Figure the father out, pardon me. Yeah. Uh, but that's, you know, the premise of this <clears throat> whole podcast is because, you know, I haven't spent enough time trying to figure out different topics. And so I want to learn from other people that have. Because I think our generation, my generation, I mean, I'm an outsourcer. Like, if there's things I don't want to do, I'll just pay somebody else to of do course. it. Of course. And don't get me wrong. Yeah. 
but there was something about you having to go figure it out on your own. And that's what the whole journey that I'm on is, is like, I want to figure out how to be that dad that people can look up to and that, you know, has to go, if you don't know how to do something, give them a call, yeah. right? I can help you, but I'm not that guy yet. Yeah. And so, you know, that's with the journey that we're on because um, I don't know what, maybe it's technology, maybe it's just, you know, different generations, but yeah, we have lost that. Yeah. And so Jennifer maybe, and uh, my kids uh, don't think I'm capable of doing anything around the house. <laughs> and whenever I need something done, I call my son-in-law, John, mm. because John is good at everything. You know, John could hang 12 pictures on that wall that were perfectly level at exactly the right height with exactly the right spacing in between, you know, with a hammer and nail and, a, and some tool that he would have. I, I could never do that. But there are a lot of things that I can do. But I become an outsourcer because I realize I'm not as good at it as other people are. Right. But I'm totally capable. And my kids don't think I can do it. It's so awesome. Yeah, I guess I better call Paul or John to come over and help me because I don't know what I'm doing. It's awesome. Get out of all that work. Yeah, well, you're at the stage now where you don't need to. I'm lazy, basically. So. Yeah, but you've earned it because of the years of working hard and understanding, like, you know, what you had to do to get to where you're at today. So you can uh, live the rest of your life a little bit more lavish. What did your parents teach you that you use today? Oh, so you said it already. Love, like, unconditional. Like, yeah. if I was, you know, both my parents loved me, uh, still love me to this day. But my mom, like that, she showered me with love. Like, I thought I was the richest kid in school because of how much I was left. Right. You know? And what my dad taught me, and it's weird, I've been reflecting on this a lot now lately. The thing that I didn't really appreciate the most, because my dad was is the nicest guy I've ever met in my life. Like, never yelled at me growing up. It was always like, I let him down. That was the way he disciplined mm. me. Uh, I, I made him disappointed. And he didn't, like, tell me he was disappointed. I could just feel it, sure. you know? Um, but he was the guy that we would go to breakfast, and that was, like, our meal that we'd go out to eat. And if he saw somebody he knew, he would make it a point for him to get out of his seat, go personally say hello to him, mm. And like had no ego, mm. humble, would treat every yeah. single person he met the same way. Right. And I, I didn't appreciate that at that age. I was embarrassed actually. I was like, Dad, they're having breakfast. Let them do their thing. <laughs> you know. But everybody was always happy to see him when yeah. they, he would do that. Yeah. And it wasn't until years later that I realized that was such an amazing trait to like yeah. just let your like you always need to be the one that says hello, not they need to say hello to yeah. you. Uh, so that's well, what makes, we think about. You know, it makes people feel good. Yeah. And and sometimes. I was talking to this one gentleman today. And that, thanks for sharing, by the way. That, that That's a great story. Yeah. I was talking to this one gentleman Appreciate today. He's, he's uh, from Afghanistan. And he's trying to find his way in this country today. Mm. And we were reflecting on how Ameri generally Americans are. Your dad is an exception. Well, he was born in Mexico, so yeah. Uh, well, and so they... they they in, in other countries, if you go visit, people go out of their way to make sure that you have information, know how to get around. They, you know, they want you to enjoy their environment and their country and everything else. And, you know, I work for Intel. I've been in 50 countries around the world. And there was always somebody there to make sure I was taken care of. It's not because of my position, because I didn't always have high executive positions, but they cared about who you were. And people in the United States were like, oh yeah, the airport, take a taxi, there's a hotel, we'll see you on Monday morning. And that's so it. And we don't, Americans don't go out of their way. And, and so I'm really, you know, pleased to hear what your dad does because there aren't many people that do stuff like that. And I think we could all be better humans 
if we really cared about the other person. This guy was trying to tell me he, he went and knocked on the first floor of his apartment mm. and introduced himself and said, hey, my kids are upstairs. I'm going to apologize in advance if it's too loud. And they basically closed the door on him. And all he was trying to do was meet people. He said, it's been so hard to meet Americans. And I said, it is. He, and he has his community, luckily, but he doesn't have a whole lot of American friends around where he lives. Yeah, I sad. mean, it, it really is sad. And, and it's true. And that's something I definitely want to get better at. And, you know, it, I don't know what it was like. You want to be the cool kid in school. People need to, you know, like ego starts to come into play very early on. And, um, yeah, I think it was something that I, I need to pass down to my girls and hope that, yeah, my hot take, and a lot of people don't like this about me, uh, but I'll, I'll add some context, is I'm not a dog person. And it's not that I don't like dogs by any means. Like, I, I've just never owned a dog, so I've never felt the love of dog. Yes. But I wish people loved people the way that people love dogs. It's so funny. <laughs> and they just don't. You know, and I understand it's why. True. It's so true. But that's why everybody's like, oh, you're going to get the girl's dog. I'm like, no, I want another kid. Like, I love humans. Yeah. Like, I love yeah. being around them. I get yeah. enjoyment from that. So. Yeah. Yeah, don't you can take your it. kids with you on vacation, but can't always take the dog, and it's going to cost you more to board the dog than it is to keep it. And then, it, don't get a dog. Yeah, I, get I dog. will at some point, but not in a rush. To don't get a dog. Uh, well, I'll probably lose some listeners after saying that. But anyways, Marty, this was awesome. Seriously, like, thank you for coming on, sharing your words of wisdom. Uh, it's been something. I don't know if you'll remember this, but I did when I first wanted to do a podcast. You were one of the first people I ever talked to about, it, and you encouraged me to do it then, and I, I didn't. It took me years later, but. Uh, forever indebted to the things I've learned from you already and look forward to hopefully many more years to come. Brian, this is great. Uh, I'm really proud of how you've, you know, how you have this entrepreneurial spirit that brings people into your world and you're curious about how it can happen. You don't just go into it blindly and you've done a great job with this podcast. I've listened to a few of them. I've listened to all of them. My son tells me when you have a new one, that's all I know. Um, but keep doing what you're doing. I think this is great. And thanks for having me. I, I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to talk about today. I've made all kinds of notes. I haven't looked at my thing one time. You just made it so easy. So thanks. Ah, uh, well, many more to come. And I will get Jennifer on this too now. So I just got the book. Uh, so go. if you guys haven't read it yet, Bridge the Gap, uh, Jennifer Edwards, her co-writer, author. Katie McCleary. Katie McCleary. Yeah, okay. they're both amazing. If you get them both at the same time, you probably need to separate them because they both can talk about the book, but Katie has her own world and Jennifer has her own world. Katie is um, a prison educator. Um, so they're opposites, right? So Jennifer's uh, conservative, liberal, Christian, Buddhist, country music, rock and roll, never knew about tattoos, gazillions of tattoos. They're just totally different people. Um, and Katie is super successful in her own right. So it'd be worthwhile, you know, getting them separate and then uh, uh, maybe at some point in the future, then getting both. They're writing another book. So they'll be they're working on book number two. Um, they've got some rough outlines for it. So uh, probably 2025 it'll be published would be my guess. It takes them a couple of years to, to get through it. But thanks for the plug, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, as soon as I read it, I'll get her on so I can talk more about it and awesome. dissect it with her. So, awesome. Thanks. bye, Marty. Have a great rest of the Friday. High five.